Isaiah chapter 41, verses 1 through 13. Coastlands, listen to me in silence, and let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward, then let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who has aroused one from the east, whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword, as the wind-driven chaff with his bow. He pursues them, passing on in safety, by a way he had not been traversing with his feet. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and have come. Each one helps his brother, his neighbor, and says to his brother, Be strong. So the craftsman encourages the smelter. And he who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. And he fastens it with nails, that it should not totter. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts, and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You will seek those who quarrel with you, but will not find them. Those who war with you will be as nothing and non-existent. For I am the Lord, your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. I bring this series on courage to a close now with the text that has more often than any other text in the Bible relieved my fears. Namely, Isaiah 41.10. I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell it again this morning as a kind of tribute to my father and to my heavenly father. July 27, 1971, Noel and I were boarding 707 to fly from New York, Kennedy Airport, to Munich, Germany. We believed that God had called us and opened the way for us to go study at the University of Munich and had in recent days done a very significant work in my life during seminary. I had just graduated I was 25 years old, 
and uh, transformation had been worked so that I loved the church, which I didn't in 1968. I thought you were supposed to, and I tried. But during the three years of my experience at Lake Avenue Congregational Church and at Fuller Seminary, I did come to love the church, and I believed that I was being called to study for the church. In fact, just to put some meat on those bones, I brought along my journal from 1971. This is volume six. I'm on uh, 38 now, I think. I don't use spiral notebooks anymore. I use the computer. But this was back in the old spiral notebooks day. This is my entry from, uh, where did it start? July 12, 1971. My desire is to throw myself into the church and to be employed by the Lord to do what he would in this day through me. I am not alienated from her. I am in love with her. I want to teach in her and be taught in her. I want to be a channel of life for her and receive life through her. I want now to be about my studies in a preparation. And I thank God for these times at home to see some needs in the church and in myself. My, how imperfect and weak I feel at home because I am not as loving as I ought to be. I am a long way off from the holiness realized. Well, that was the spirit in which I arrived in New York two weeks later, ready to get on the plane with my desire to serve the church and my sense of weakness and imperfection. My father could not be there in New York to see us off for those three years we would be away. He was in another state doing the work of an evangelist which he was always doing and is to this day doing. But my mother was there and my grandmother, Mamon, was there. And uh, they saw us off at the airport. And uh, this is where Isaiah 41.10 comes in. So let me jump ahead and read the entry or part of it from uh, having arrived in Munich and looking back two days. At about 2 p.m., we found cargo hangar 67 at Kennedy Airport where we unloaded our 400 pounds of extra luggage and paid $253 to have it shipped on our own flight. Then we went into Manhattan to see the town and decided it would be preferable to sit in Radio City Music Hall than fight that crazy traffic and heat. From Radio City, we called Daddy long distance to say goodbye. I felt so frustrated to make our goodbye appropriate. I came closer to crying there than when I left Mamon and Mother later at Pan Am. He gave me three passages to read. Isaiah 41.10, Isaiah 50, verse 7, 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. Noel and I read these together before going to bed tonight. My, how I love Daddy. I think every time I'm thrown into a new situation where I may be afraid or alone, my mind turns to the kind of life Daddy has been called to live for almost 30 years. 
I love him for following through in that call. Oh, how I pray that I will have the faith and confidence he has in our Lord for trying times. So for three years in, in Germany, Isaiah 41.10 was on my lips and in my heart during the anxious times more than any other verse. In fact, I said Isaiah 41.10 so many times that when my mind today shifts into neutral, the whir of the gears is Isaiah 41.10. I suspect if I were unconscious and dying and you poked my scripture button, that's the verse that would probably come out. I remember riding on my old-fashioned balloon tire, second-hand bicycle along the bumpy cobblestone back street of Munich along the Isar River on the way to classes, which were all in German, and my heart pounding that I might be called upon to say something and saying over and over and over again to myself, Fürchte dich nicht. Ich bin mit dir. Schau dich nicht ängstlich um. Ich bin ja dein Gott. Ich stärke dich. Ich helfe dir. Ich stütze Dich mit der rechten Hand meiner Gerechtigkeit. To get me ready, so that if I had one thing to say, I'd know one verse. <laughs> and now I have sons. And I can do for them what my father did for me. So on Wednesday, just before Benjamin left to go to boot camp at Fort Jackson... We sat down in the living room, and I said, Benjamin, there's a great text. My father gave it to me, and I'm going to give it to you. It will suffice. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. What a great heritage. Look, if you don't have that heritage, you can start it. Heritages start somewhere. It's the concluding text this morning about courage and fearlessness and risk-taking. So let's look at it. Verse 10 of Isaiah 41. There are two commandments and there are five pillars of fearlessness underneath these two commandments. The first commandment is, fear not. And the second commandment is, in the New American Standard, do not anxiously look about you. Or in the Revised Standard or King James, do not be dismayed. So those are the two commandments. They're, the, they're one commandment, namely, don't be afraid. That's the point of this, this series of messages. God doesn't want you to be afraid today. He doesn't want you to be afraid tomorrow. He wants you to overcome anxiety and to overcome the dismaying feelings of 
uncertainty about the future. And then come reasons. I wrote about this in the Star, and I want to stress it again. Whenever the Bible commands something, it gives reasons. It doesn't leave commands hanging out here in the air with no support. Just kind of do something and no power, no pillar underneath the command. That's not the way the Bible is. That would result in moral heroism, which would give glory to nobody but you. You are called upon to obey, not in your own strength, but in the strength that God supplies, that in everything God may get the glory, and He supplies the strength through pillars of promises. And there are five of them in this verse. That's why this verse is so powerful in so many of your lives. Number one, I am with you. Number two, I am your God. Number three, I will strengthen you. Number four, I will help you. Number five, I will uphold you. Spurgeon used to preach a sermon called The I Wills and the I Shells of God. He loved the I shalls and the I wills and the I ams of God. And I love them too. It would be a great Bible reading sometime to just take your highlighter and move through Scripture with all the, the I wills and I shalls of God. God is with me. God is my God. God will strengthen me. God will help me. God will uphold me. So now God is calling us this morning not to be afraid when you do evangelism this week. Not to be afraid and stay home on Wednesday night when God's been tugging you to come and be a part of one of those outreaches. He's calling you not to be afraid. Or when you have to take a test. Some of you got some board exams and some heavies coming up here in summer school and so on and... Uh, when you have a test or when you face an interview, some of you got some interviews coming and they can make you anxious. Or when you take a stand at work against some unjust business practice that you say, if I bring this up to the boss, I could lose my job or everybody could think I'm square and stupid. Or when you have to confront somebody with sin or when you have to leave or have chosen to leave. A secure position in a new venture and chapter of your life, or when you face an operation for some condition, or when you have to get treatment like radiation and you don't know if it's going to do what it's supposed to do, or when you lose a spouse, or when you lose a friend and he moves far away. God is calling all of you to not be afraid this morning, to have peace because of five pillars under your life. Fear not, because God is with you. Fear not, because God is your God. Fear not, because God will strengthen you. Fear not, because God will help you. Fear not, because God will support you and hold you up by His victorious right hand. We're going to come back to this in just a few minutes, but what I want to do is look at the verses leading up to verse 10. Because I think they are like uh, gunpowder or tinder under the explosive power of verse 10. Verse 10 is a very powerful verse. It's a favorite verse for many of you. But not many of us have put verses 1 to 9 under it so that God can light the match to this 
powder and, and explode and intensify the five pillars and promises of verse 10. So that's what I want to do for a few minutes with you. I want to back up and place this tinder and this gunpowder underneath verse 10 so that it will have an increasing power in your life. What we have in verses 1 to 9 are glimpses of God. So I assume that if it's God who's your God, God who's with you, God who strengthens, God who helps, God who upholds, if you saw this God for who He really is, those five pillars would become massive and the power in them would become increased. That's the goal. There are four glimpses of God here. Number one, verse one. Coastlands, God talking now. Coastlands, listen to me in silence. Let the peoples gain new strength. Let them come forward. Let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Now, this is God's way of asserting His authority out over all the coastlands of the Mediterranean, Mediterranean and all the peoples and saying, All right, if you would have other gods, if you would count me unworthy, if you would be unbelieving, if you would make a case against me, come to judgment. Come into my courtroom. Strengthen yourself. Make a case for yourself. I will listen. And so the first glimpse of God we have here in verse 1 is the Lord and judge of the nations. He is not judged by them. They give an account in His courtroom. He does not give an account in theirs. The God of Isaiah 41.10 who holds us up by His righteous, just right hand is the God who holds all nations to account and is their judge. That's glimpse number one. Glimpse number two, verses two and three, Isaiah asks, Who has aroused one from the east? Now, let me stop there and give you my interpretation of this. I think he means by this one from the east, Cyrus, the Persian king that in chapter 45 is predicted to come to destroy Babylon. God is calling him like his servant. Cyrus is the rod of God, according to later chapters in Isaiah. So let me read it with that understanding. Who has aroused one from the east whom he, that is God, calls in righteousness to his feet. He delivers up nations before him. That is, God is, is delivering up nations before this king and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword as the wind-driven chaff with his bow. So the, seven, the second picture, glimpse of God that we have is not just of God judging the nations, but God who is now the ruler of the rulers of the nations. He rules Cyrus and he gives up kings to Cyrus like dust. The God who says to you, I'm your God. I'll be with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll hold you up is the God who raises up kings and puts down kings. That's the first and second glimpse. Number three, verse four. Who has performed and accomplished it? Calling forth the generations from the beginning. Who is that? Who 
who called these nations, who called these kings, who called all their people and their generations forth from the beginning, who brought them into being? Answer, I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. So not only is the picture given of God as the ruler of the nations and the kings and as the judge of the nations and the kings, but as the creator of the nations. Isn't this magnificent? God the creator, God the ruler, God the judge. God started it. God upholds it, guides it. God will be the one to whom all give an account at the end. And this God says, I am your God. I'll help you Monday morning. I'll strengthen you. I'll uphold you with this hand, this very hand that rules the nations, that upholds the nations, that raises kings and puts them down, that flung nations into being. This God says, Isaiah 41, 10. Then, number four, verses five to seven, Isaiah shows us here the desperate attempts of the peoples without God to persuade themselves that their gods are sufficient. Look how he does it. Verse 5, they're afraid and they come together. Verse 6, they try to encourage each other. Be strong, be strong. Isn't that a... And when, you, when you hear that word of the nations trying to build each other up in their idolatry, be strong, be strong. It puts verse 10 in a really striking light. Where God says, I'll strengthen you. I'll strengthen you. Here are the nations in verse 6 saying to each other, be strong, be strong. And then verse 7, here they are with a hammer smoothing out the metal on their idols and with their, their uh, nails putting them up on walls and saying to each other, it's good, it's good, it's good. Humans can do a lot. We, we build big buildings. We can get to the moon. We can heal diseases, lots of them. It's good. Anything, anything but to believe that we need God. Verses 5 to 7 are a desperate attempt on the part of the nations to encourage themselves that they can make it without God. And over against that comes the magnificent, saving, electing work of God in verses 8 and 9. But you are Israel. You, Israel. My servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth, and called from its remotest parts and said to you, You're my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So there are four glimpses of God, the God of Isaiah 41.10. The first glimpse is that He is a, a judge. Come on, coastlands, if you want, make your case before me. 
Give an account. I call you to account. Glimpse number two, he's the ruler of the rulers of the world. And glimpse number three, he brought them all into being. And glimpse number four, he gathers his own people from the nations, from their distance, and brings them to himself. That's who we are this morning. Ephesians 1 says of you, Christians, before the foundation of the world, God chose you, destined you to be his children. You are his. He made you his God. Now, I say that those four glimpses intensify the five pillars of fearlessness in Isaiah 41.10. Let me try to put it all together for you. The God who judges all the earth and calls the coastlands to give an account. The God who rules over the rulers of the nations. The God who calls the nations into being. The God who calls his people from the nations and elects them for himself. That God says to you this morning, I am your God. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand And only now does he say, therefore, therefore, because I judge the nations, therefore, because I rule the rulers, therefore, because I call nations into being, therefore, because I choose my own freely, therefore, because I am your God, therefore, because I am with you, therefore, because I help you, therefore, because I strengthen you, therefore, because I uphold you, therefore, after this series of messages and for the rest of your life, do not be afraid. It isn't hanging in the air as a burden. It's a doorway into a life of freedom on massive pillars of divine enablement. Let me change the image. If I may, God, please get it home to you. Try five prepositions or five spatial relationships that God has to you. I am your God, that is, I am above you. I am over you with my mighty hand, over. I am with you, beside you. I will help you from whatever angle the enemy may come, or the attack, or the threat, I am all around you as your help. I will strengthen you from inside out. I will be your strength and I will uphold you from underneath you. I am over you. I am beside you. I am all around you. I am inside of you. I am under you. You don't need to fear. You don't need to be afraid. Choose your image. Do not be afraid. We come to the end of this series and there is one great ground for fearlessness. God. I am your God. I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. I only have one message. 
If you have God, you don't need to be afraid. And I call you this morning to believe that the most crucial factor in the future of your fearlessness is not your family of origin. It is your God. I call you to be free from the limitations that so many put upon yourself in a kind of fatalistic rootedness in where you've come from. You have a God who is infinitely more powerful than anything in your past. And He can break whatever bondages you feel to be in because of it. The Bible holds up a God who is stronger than your personality, who is stronger than your past track record of timidity, who is stronger than your perceived identity as a nobody who could ever accomplish anything with courage for God. And I plead with you to accept the fact that it is God who makes the difference and not you or your parents or your friends. It is God who makes the difference. I just appeal to the one among you right now who feels absolutely and totally inadequate to do anything of worth this week. I appeal to you to stop thinking about your inadequacy and why you got to be that way. And I plead with you to look at God. He is God. He is God. Do you believe Him? Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. What else can we say? Believe in God. I really believe that one of the reasons we live such defeat in our lives is because we're trying to figure ourselves out interminably without fixing our affections and our attention morning, noon, and night upon the living God. Did not David say, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night, and therefore... He is like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit. I call you to believe God, to believe Isaiah 41.10. And we've got a vision now to pray over for the next hour. And I invite as many of you as would join us in prayer to stay. We understand if you have to go, the bridge is for doing what you need to do. Let's bow in prayer. Oh, Father, as we prepare to worship you and as we prepare to pray this vision into reality, guide us on the bridge. Some need to go to the prayer teams and pray. Some need to sit in silent penitence and prayer. Others need to lift their voices and let loose the strong affections they have for you right now. 
Others need to go and be alone, perhaps somewhere outside this room. Others need to go home and make a phone call. Others need to go to Sunday school. The children, Lord, bless them. Bless their Sunday school. Give them insight. Fill them with their own time of prayer. So, Lord, whatever needs to happen right now, I invite you to come meet us on the bridge and give us a spirit of supplication and prayer for praying the vision. In Jesus' name, amen.